Good morning, St. Mark, and welcome to worship this morning. I'm excited to be with you today. If uh, we haven't gotten a chance to meet yet, my name is Alaric, and I'm the vicar or pastoral intern here at St. Mark. And I'm excited to be with you this morning because we get to wrap up our sermon series today called When Church is the Worst. And for those of you who are guests with us today or who might be watching from home online, just know that we here at St. Mark love the church. We think it's the place where the followers of Jesus can gather and receive the gifts that he has to give to us. So we love the church here at St. Mark. But what we say when we mean that what we mean when we say that the church is the worst is we mean that sometimes the church can be its own worst enemy. And sometimes we can put barriers up in our lives when we proclaim the gospel and share the love of Jesus with others that make the church instead seem cold, judgmental, and unloving. And I don't know about you, but growing up, I didn't really like going to church. I didn't like having to get up early and set my alarm early in the morning so that way I wouldn't be late to church because you know if you're late to church, people are going to notice. I didn't like having to leave my favorite Red Sox jersey at home instead of wearing it to church because I had to wear my Sunday best because otherwise you know if you don't, then people are going to notice. I didn't like having to sit through these long services and stay attentive and awake and not yawning or falling asleep because you know that if you look bored or if you start yawning during the service, then the pastor or someone else in the congregation will notice. And just so you know, that when I was uh, growing up, I learned in church that you can yawn with your mouth closed. So, I mean, we don't really need that anymore because we have masks, but uh, that's something I learned from church. Additionally, uh, I didn't like going to church because I had to sit through these long uh, conversations that my parents would have after the service. And the only thing that was there that I could do was really uh, just eat bad store-bought snacks and drink bad coffee. And I didn't like going to youth group either, because not because the kids at the youth group were bad or not friendly or anything like that, but they went, all went to a different school than I did, and they had their own little groups and cliques from there, and that excluded me at times. But what I really didn't like about church, I didn't realize this until afterwards, but we had this voters meeting at my church growing up, and it was to call a new pastor, and we were down to two pastoral candidates, and so the congregation voted on it, and half the congregation voted for one guy, half the congregation voted for another. I mean, it was a dead split between the two guys, so they opened up the floor after the vote, so that way people could talk about why they voted for one candidate over another, and we could try to work it out, and Oh boy, that was a mistake. There was judgment. There was criticism flying all over that room. I mean, they were criticizing both candidates based on how well they introduced themselves, how friendly they were when they first met them, how well-dressed they were, how they presented themselves, how friendly and nice and bubbly their wives were, how well-behaved their children were, all of which had nothing to do with how well they were going to lead and pastor the church. And I don't know about you, but to me, That sounds pretty cold and judgmental and unloving. And I would argue that that's an example of the church at its worst. And let me give you guys a quick disclaimer here. Me and my wife, Angela, love St. Mark. We have felt so welcomed here. We are so excited to be here. It is a great place to be. I'm so excited that I get to be here to do my vicarage here with you guys because you've been nothing but kind and warm and welcoming. So nothing I'm about to say specifically applies to anything that I've seen here at St. Mark. And that goes for the coffee. We have pretty good coffee here too. But you know how church can be. 
You know how church can be a hotbed for gossip, for people talking behind one another's backs. It can be a place where people strategically plan their exit from the sanctuary or from the building so they don't have to talk to people they want to avoid. It's a place where people make quick judgments about one another, a place where people make assumptions about each other that they have no right to make. It's a place where we have meetings and we get into arguments and debates about simple things like what color the new carpet should be that gets in the way of our love for one another. And if your Facebook feed looks anything like mine, then you've seen plenty of people in the Christian community posting things that you could call cold, judgmental, and unloving. And that's not what Jesus calls us to be. And even if none of these examples, if you can't relate to any of these examples, then you know that feeling in your heart and that inner dialogue that you have within your head sometimes when someone really gets on your nerves, when you get frustrated, when you get angry or resentful towards someone. And these can be people we say we love, people like uh, your family, people like your friends, your neighbors, people that you say you love, you still get angry with. And Jesus tells us that to be angry, to be resentful towards someone is, is the same in God's eyes as if you murdered them as if you killed them. Jesus calls us to love one another, but the problem is we simply can't. You and I consistently fail to love one another in the way that Jesus wants you to. And I mean, even from the Gospel of John that we read this morning, we read about how Jesus instructs the disciples right before he's taken away to be crucified, right before he's arrested, he gives the disciples these parting instructions that they love one another as he loves them. And he says it three times in two verses. And because it's such an important thing, you better believe that he is trying to take this seriously. It's his last instructions before he's crucified. And he says it three times, love one another as I have loved you. But we fail to do that. And when these things get in the way of our love for one another, then it can make people on the outside question why anyone would ever want to be a part of this community. When we allow things like finances, like style of worship, like strategic planning, like leadership decisions, when we let the stuff like that and our disagreements with one another get in the way of our love for one another and of our proclaiming the gospel to the world, then that's a problem. That's like if you go to a restaurant and the hostess doesn't even welcome you. She just sits there on her phone and tells you you can sit wherever. It's like an empty restaurant. You sit down and the waiter comes up after 30 minutes of waiting and just proceeds to complain about how bad the food is and the cook at the back. That's what the church is like when we're at odds with one another. Would you want to go back to that restaurant? I know I wouldn't. But that is how the church can be sometimes. That's how it can look to the outsider who doesn't know about the gospel. And how are you and I supposed to love that guy? Love the guy who has different opinions than us, who looks differently, who votes differently, who thinks differently, has the different worldview than us? How are we supposed to love that guy when you and I can't even love the person sitting next to us in the pew? At least not perfectly in the way that Jesus wants us to. How can we do that? Because isn't that what Jesus calls us to do 
in Matthew chapter 25, our reading for today, Jesus tells the disciples about when he returns to judge the entire earth and he has all the people before him. He divides them into two groups, goats on the left and sheep on the right. And trust me, you want to be a sheep because what Jesus says to the sheep, inherit the kingdom of God that he has prepared for you. Because you gave me food when I was hungry. You gave me water when I was thirsty. You clothed me when I was naked. You visited me when I was sick and in prison. And the sheep say, well, when do we do that, Jesus? And Jesus says to them, truly, I say to you, as you did these things to the least of these, my brothers, so you did it to me. Now, that's significant. And when you first read that, it makes it sound like we have to go out and do a bunch of social ministry. We have to go help the hungry, help the needy, help the poor, help those who are less fortunate, which is a good thing to do. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that as the church. That is our role and responsibility to do that. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here in this passage. And the key phrase there is my brothers. Jesus doesn't refer to unbelievers, doesn't refer to people on the outside of the church who aren't followers of him as his brothers. Jesus only calls people his brothers and sisters if they follow him, if they believe in him. That's what he says elsewhere in the gospel. He calls his followers and his disciples, his brothers and sisters, over his actual biological family. That's how serious Jesus is when he says my brothers. He's talking about the church. And we need to back up even farther to get a fuller picture of what Jesus is trying to say here. We have, to, we have to go back to Matthew chapter 10 when Jesus sends out the 12 disciples and he sends them into the towns and into the villages of Israel and tells them to go out. You're going to heal lepers. You're going to heal the sick. You're going to cast out demons. And you're going to proclaim to these people that it's all because the Messiah has come. Me, Jesus, I have come to earth. I am the Messiah that is here to forgive you of your sins. That's what Jesus tells them to do. And so they go out, and before they go out to spread this good news, Jesus gives them a final instruction. He says, whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. So whoever receives you, the disciples, receives me, Jesus. And whoever receives me, Jesus, receives God, the Father who sent me. That's Jesus' promise to the disciples. And that's his promise to us as well. What he's saying to these sheep is not that they did a bunch of good works, that they helped enough people in order to get into heaven. But he said, because you have accepted and received, because you have received the messenger, my disciples, you have received the gospel. And so you have received me, Jesus. What Jesus is saying is that he goes out with you to proclaim to the non-Christian the gospel. He goes with you in that situation. He goes with the missionary who goes to a foreign land who is to people who have never heard of the gospel. He goes with the pastor on Sunday where he stands up in front of the congregation and proclaims to them the gospel. Jesus is there. Wherever the gospel is, there Jesus stands. And this makes sense to us because you and I believe that there's no way that we can trust in God unless the Holy Spirit turns us back to him and away from our sins. We have to, to have faith. The Holy Spirit has to work in us and turn us back to God. That's why we believe that when you're baptized, whether you're an adult or an infant, the sign of the cross is made upon your forehead and upon your heart to mark you as a child of God and Jesus' brother, a member of the family that is the church. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in that baptism. 
And when Pastor Matt stands up here and announces to you that your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you better believe that that is just as good as if Jesus was standing here himself, proclaiming to you with the holes in his hands that your sins are forgiven because of his costly self-sacrifice on the cross. And when you receive the body and the blood in the Lord's Supper, we believe that it's bread and wine, but we also believe in Jesus' promise that it is the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, that he has promised to be here present with us in this way, that we receive him into our hands and into our bodies. He announces to you the forgiveness of sins. He has promised to be here in this place so that we know where we can meet him at. And it's not just enough to know that Jesus is here, but to know that he forgives you of your sins, of your inability to love one another. Because Jesus' love surpasses your inability to love. It overcomes your incapacity to love. And the blood of the sacrificial lamb washes over you to make you new and to make you a sheep. And if you're a sheep, that's a good thing. Because Jesus says that sheep inherit eternal life with him forever in heaven. And for those of you who might be guests with us this morning, who might be watching online, who this gospel sounds a little bit weird, or you, know, you don't really under, understand it, just know this, that your sins, everything that you've done in your life to inflict pain on others, to hurt other people, it's forgiven. Because Jesus died and came back to life for you. And if he came back to life, he's promised he's going to bring you to life once again when you die. And that all the pain and all the suffering that you experience here in this earth, it's going to melt away. Because if you believe that, he's going to bring you into his heavenly kingdom to be with God forever. Where the only thing we'll know is the love of Jesus Christ for you. That's what you're going to be surrounded by in the new creation. And that's all well and good for us here in the church. We know that we're forgiven. We know that we have this gospel. As soon as I started getting up here and talking this morning, you know that I was going to give you the gospel, or at least I should. And that gospel doesn't, it makes everything better in the end. We know that Jesus is going to return and bring us to be with him. That is good news. But has that help us love one another now? What good is it for now in this world when we still can't seem to get along with the person sitting next to us in the pew? And Jesus promises to give you his Holy Spirit. That is his solution. That even though you and I will never, ever be able to love each other perfectly in this life, not until we go into the new creation and join with Jesus, we'll never be able to do it in this life. So he gives us on our own. So he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit that we might learn how to love. Because the job of the Holy Spirit is to make you more holy. It's to make you more able to learn how to love. And you know from this sermon that you know that you receive the Holy Spirit in your baptism when you're announced that your sins are forgiven and when you receive the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sins that points you back to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit works in this way. And God hears your prayers, whether it's here in church or there at home. When you pray to God that 
He might send his Holy Spirit to make you more holy so that you can be more able to love one another, not because you're learning how to get along better with people on your own, but because the Holy Spirit's love has to help you do that. And God hears those prayers. And when you gather together in this community of the church, and when you have people around you where you're comfortable to lay out your sins with other people, lay out your failures to love, lay out your inability to love, then you will get pointed back to Jesus every time. Or at least you should. Because in this community, we accept people for who they are because Jesus accepted you. And we forgive people when they do wrong to us. And it's a community of forgiveness because Jesus forgave you. And it's a community of love here in the Christian church because you are loved by Jesus more than you could love anybody else ever. And as we try to be this community here at St. Mark, as we try to live into this, know two things. Know that Jesus goes with you and that should comfort you. Jesus goes with us to comfort us. So that when we get nervous about how we can share the gospel with someone, how we can love someone, if we, if we have to think and decide the best way that we can go about sharing the gospel with this person or loving one another, don't worry. Know that Jesus goes with you. If you feel like you're unable to do that, you're not good enough at speaking to proclaim the gospel or anything like that, know that Jesus goes with you. And everything that could stop you from proclaiming the gospel, sin, death, and the devil, that's been defeated by Jesus. And Jesus, as your warrior king, goes with you. He leads you into this spiritual battle that you'll face. So don't be afraid, because Jesus is with you. And the second thing that it should do is motivate you. Knowing that Jesus goes with you should motivate you for his mission. Because you know how much love you've received. You know how much, how much you've been forgiven. And you want to share that with other people so that they can know how much they are forgiven and this love of Jesus too. And that might mean having to make some sacrifices. Just like Jesus made a costly self-sacrifice on the cross to forgive you of your sins, you and I are called to make that same costly self-sacrifice so that we can share the gospel with other people, so that we can remove any of these barriers that stand in our way in the proclamation of the gospel. I'm not saying that we can be Jesus, but what I'm saying is this is the mark of a Christian community because of Jesus' actions on the cross, that it's okay for us to give up a little bit of our own time so that we can tell somebody about Jesus or help them learn more about the gospel. And that we should invite people into our homes if possible so we can share the gospel with someone who needs to hear it. And we have this season of opening right now here at St. Mark where we have the opportunity to reset our routines and to reset how we do church and how we think about proclaiming the gospel to other people. Think about in your life this week, who needs to hear the gospel? And what can you give up in your life? What can you sacrifice in order that you can give that to them? Maybe it's 
simply giving up a seat here at church so you can sit next to someone who's a visitor who wants to learn more about what we do here at St. Mark. Maybe it means not talking to people you'd like to talk to, but instead talking to this person who is a visitor so that they can learn more about the community. Maybe it means going to a Bible class with them instead of going out to brunch like you want to go to or instead of going to the Bible class that you want to go to in order that you can help them learn more about Jesus. And it could look like a million other things as well. But how can we here at St. Mark change our routine, or sacrifice some of our preferences in order that we might be able to share the love of God with someone else. Remember that church that I was talking about? The one where I couldn't wear my Red Sox jersey to? That church and the pastor at that church always made a point to say hi to everyone when they walked in. The pastor would make sure, even if he didn't uh, get a chance to say hi to you when you walked through the door, he would come up to you before service started and made sure to acknowledge you and say hi. And during the, the service, during the children's message, he would get down on the ground with those kids and sometimes look silly so that they could know that Jesus loved them. And he would always make sure to be the first one to that exit door, not because he wanted to get to the football game or the Cardinals game or anything like that, but because he wanted to make sure that he said bye to everyone that day and that no one got out of that church that day without saying hi to him, giving him a handshake, giving, me a, giving him a hug because he wanted to let them know that they mattered and that their being in church that day mattered. And he'd always be downstairs, not because he liked the coffee or the snacks, they were bad, but because he wanted to make sure that he got to talk to the people and got to be involved in his people's lives. And those people who are looking for that Christian community, they'd be able to find it. And he'd be able to see how they were doing. And he'd always make sure to talk to me, to see how school was going, to see how sports were going for me, because he wanted me to feel accepted and loved in that Christian community. I'll be honest with you, I didn't like going to church all the time growing up. But if you and I can have that sort of love that my pastor had for his congregation, if you and I can love one another in that way, gathered around the gospel and the gifts that God has to give us here, then that's the church at its best. And people on the outside are going to notice, especially today in this world that is so full, so saturated with hate and with anger and with arguments. If we can be that loving community to one another, then people on the outside are going to want a piece of that. And when they come asking why we are the way we are as a Christian community, you and I have the opportunity to point them to the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come here today to receive your gifts that you give us and to be able to learn more, to be able to dig into your word and have this community with one another. And we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit among us, that we might be able to learn how to love one another, even just a little bit like Jesus loves us. We pray that you would be with us at this time, and we pray that we'd be able to learn to love like you would intend us to. In your name we pray. Amen.